Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody who understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, a weekly podcast illuminating issues in agricultural and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are addressed using a science-based approach with the goal of driving discovery to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulton. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about medicine and agriculture with a focus on biotechnology and the good things that we can do to solve problems for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Fulta, and this week is a really special episode of the Talking Biotech Podcast. We go to Purdue University to talk to distinguished professor Dr. Jules Janik. And Professor Janik has been a mainstay in horticulture for decades. Uh, he's the James Troop Distinguished Professor of Horticulture, and his list of awards and honors is longer than anybody's. And it's really an honor to be able to have him here on the podcast. How long have you been uh, at Purdue University now? I've been here for 65 years. How about that? <laughs> 65 years. and Yeah, I, I, a couple. I, I don't know if you heard me before, but if, if you want to use anything flower, I do have four honorary degrees, and uh, they call me the Renaissance Man of horticulture <laughs> yeah the renaissance man of horticulture because i've always liked your edge of uh including some of the examination of antiquity and some of the artwork and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. you, so, you learn a lot about the fruits and vegetables that people have around the world as you yeah, look at their artworks yeah. very interesting That's right. yeah it's a new, new, new field of art and horticulture horticulture and art <laughs> Well, today we're going to talk about um, a a mutual interest um, that really got stimulated with me because of being introduced or being asked to participate in the workshop with you, Um, and that is about uh, Nikolai Vavilov. Nikolai Ivanovich Vavilov. And so Nikolai Ivanovich Vavilov is a really important character for us to understand, or a very important part of history for us to understand, especially in times like now, where, you know, climate science is considered a hoax, and food technology is always getting grief, and people opting out of vaccination. And why is it that... Oh, yeah. By the way, there's another one. I mean, it's against the law to discuss gun violence. How about that? You can't report on it. I mean, there are all kinds of things that are happening politically with science. Oh, sure. I mean, it's any of these hot button issues can get you in a lot of trouble. And as I've demonstrated (laughs) swimmingly, (laughs) but, um, you know, why is this uh, concept of uh, Vavilov and the Lysenko affair? It's really, really important. And 
uh, could you maybe start out by talking a little bit about Nikolai Vavilov and his early career, maybe his background and his education? Yeah, I, I, I like to. He's a very interesting man. He was born in 1887 uh, in a prosperous Russian family, uh, but uh, derived from the peasant class. And uh, he was interested in natural science. He wanted to go to medical school, but he didn't have facility in Latin, but he learned it. He went to agricultural school, and uh, he wrote his uh, BS thesis on snails and snail disease. <laughs> and he got very <laughs> into agriculture. He taught in a woman's college, and uh, before you know it, he became very interested in selection and agriculture and genetics, and he became one of, really, the heroes of plant breeding. And, and where was he uh, first finding his academic appointments and you know, his, his real getting gaining his chops in uh, in in agriculture? Yeah, well, he, uh, I mean, yeah, he uh, went to agricultural university, of course, and um, uh, later he got jobs and uh, he taught in the women's agricultural college. Uh, uh, he then because became very popular in the Russian scientific field and he. He, his rise was meteoric. Uh, he was uh, well-liked by Lenin, and he really became important when he took a kind of a sabbatical and went to England and studied with William Bateson. Bateson is an interesting guy. He was the one who, who coined the word genetics, and uh, he became really involved with the new science of genetics, and he realized that uh, the science of genetics was vital uh, to plant breeding. That was kind of a new philosophy. It turns out you can be a good plant breeder without knowing about science, but he merged these two fields, the science of genetics and the science of plant breeding. And he was uh, really recognized by many folks as an international expert. And oh, yes, he became, he, 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 he really brought Russia into the forefront of science. He became head of institutes. Uh, uh, he became vice president of the inter- international um, 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 symposium, uh, World Congress of Plant Breeding. Uh, he was made honorary head of plant breeding, but he couldn't attend later in his career. And he was recognized all over the world, especially for his expeditions. He went to many, many countries, uh, hundreds of expeditions. Uh, I think I have the number here, 65, um, 64 countries and uh, 115 research expeditions, uh, often traveling by mule, finding new plants including the United States. He was the one who recognized sunflower as being very important. And uh, his uh, uh, varieties of sunflower were returned to the United States, and now it's a, a big crop in the United States. So he was really prescient. Yeah, some of the pictures are amazing of those early expeditions. And he was going places where it were really off the charts in terms of other people exploring uh, for plants and understanding what kind of plants there were there. And what did he really learn from those early expeditions? Well, he was uh, very interested in the origin of cultivated plants. That's what he's mostly known for. And he, uh, he continued to work at De Candoli, who was interested in the origin of plants. And he came up with the fact that there were certain hot spots in the world he called centers of origin of cultivated plants, and uh, it was these plains that you could find new genes, okay, and, and, and the source of plants, and were very important for plant breeding. He noticed that many of the uh, plant breeders who really were not geneticists were successful because they used exotic germplasm. And so he came up with the idea of saving these seeds from all over the world, establishing gene banks, and this is very important. And he established the first gene bank uh, in Moscow at 250,000 
different varieties of seed, and now this is something that we do all over the world. So he's really known for this concept of gene backs and the sensors of origin of cultivated plants. He picked about eight areas that were hot spots in the world, things, places like Mexico and China and the Near East, Abyssinia. And uh, so this became very important for plant breeding. And and he was having gene banks really before we knew much about genes. I mean, which is really kind of interesting. Well, actually, he he became very interested in genetics after after his rendezvous with Bateson, and uh, he did a lot of work on plant immunity. And uh, so, by the time he was doing this, genetics was really becoming popular. He visited Thomas Hunt Morgan. Uh, and uh, a famous geneticist. And um, uh, so really genetics as a practical aspect of plant breeding developed with Vettelhoff. And so what were some of his really key findings that he that, that really were things that we think about, like the laws of uh, homologous series, that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, okay. Well, his early scientific career was involved with plant immunity, and he was... He, this was something that was very important, and of course, is extremely important now. So, and he, he wrote a book called "The Theoretical Basis of Plant Selection" in '26, and then he came up with something called the Law of Homologous Series, the Law of Homologous Series and Hereditary Variability. And this is the point that uh, uh, that if you um, um, arrange plants in a certain way, you could find out, predict undiscovered forms and missing links. And we now know that this is due to the fact that uh, there's something called syntomy, that all of these forms have similar genes that have been mutated, and you can find these things. So he was very prescient in this field. And then, of course, his, his great contribution was uh, the senses of origin and the origin of cultivated plants and its applica- application to plant breeding with the development of seed banks. So he, he had a tremendous effect on plant breeding through genetics. And uh, this was a key factor in his life. Well, and, and, and ultimately, you know, I'll save the punchline for later, but it, yeah. his interest was really in the genetics and understanding that his ideas meshed and coordinated very well, dovetailed well with what was being discussed from Charles Darwin. Uh, you know, Darwin's findings yeah. on uh, origin of the species and, and, uh, and speciation. And so when Stalin came to power in 1924... There was this really uh, abrupt philosophical shift that Vavilov found himself in the middle of, and couldn't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's very interesting, because it started with this guy called Tropim Lysenko. He was an agronomist. Lysenko was a terrible character, really. He was a, uh, he was a dour, mean-spirited agronomist, unscientific, and really off the charts. And... Um, uh, yet he was supported by this ever-tolerant Vavilov and who brought him into prominence, but he turned on him. And then it turned out that this feeling interacted with Stalin's feeling that um, um, socialism, communism could change people's genetics. Uh, they were against the gene theory. They call that regressive, capitalistic, um, and um uh, and as a result, uh, uh, it became politically impossible for him to continue. And it was terrible. Uh, he finally, uh, Stalin actually destroyed many of these people. Actually, actually did judicial murder, murdered them. Can you imagine that? And he eventually was arrested and uh, died in prison. So it's a very sad story. 
And we now really think of Vavilov as, as a martyr of science, uh, along with people like um, uh, Cordiano Bruno, Galileo, uh, Lavoisier, uh, people who died for science, and he is really a martyr of science, someone we really admire and look up to. It, he really is. And it's, what's really sad about this is when you look at this all came about because of a political shift, a philosophical shift from Stalin with looking at, you know, natural selection as being where uh, nurture was much more important than nature. Exactly right. right. They didn't believe in, in They didn't believe in genetics. And um, um, let, let me. Um, um, they, they thought this was capitalism. They just didn't like it. And uh, uh, it was it, it was a very bad time for genetics, and it showed you the difficulties of combining politics and science, because uh, politics goes one way and science goes after the truth. So it was very different, and uh, he soon found out that his enemy was not Lysenko, he was Stalin. And he, he said something very interesting. He said, uh, when he was attacked, he said, we shall go to the pyre, we shall burn, but we shall not retreat from our convictions. So he was really, he, he really fervently for truth and science. Yeah, I got to get, that's going to be my first tattoo. <laughs> we'll go to the fire. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess um, the other question about this is really the, so it certainly was detrimental to folks like Vavilov and Karpachenko, but what about the wider Soviet society that was now investing their scientific resources into really flawed concepts. How did that come home to roost by well, following came, folks like Lysenko? It came home very badly because the uh, vernalization... Lysenko found something that you could put seeds under cold treatment and they would, you know, you could grow them in more northern areas. And it got very popular, but it, it, it didn't work as a practical thing. He was also against hybrid corn. And and, and Russia was very, very far behind in, in, in the use of heterosis and plant breeding. And as a result, their agriculture declined. I was only a member when um, uh, they came and visited the United States and to study these things that they realized they were going backwards. Uh, when you go away from science, you're in real trouble. And so this is a real disastrous uh, consequences for the Soviet Union. Yeah, they I got think, behind in agriculture. Well, and, and I guess it was millions starved because of uh, flawed science and flawed genetics. Well, it was a combination of flawed science and flawed genetics and bad agricultural policy. And uh, that's true. They did get behind, and it was, it was disastrous for the Soviet Union. So the, we mentioned briefly this guy Karpachenko, Gregor Karpachenko, or Gregory oh, yeah. Karpachenko. Yeah, he was a very famous cytologist and making great understanding in terms of genetics, the basis of genetics uh, at the chromosomal level at about the same time. And maybe yeah, he touch on... made, and he also made new species by polyploidy. You know, so he could take two species; they would be fertile, but he would polyploid them and he would uh, get them fertile again. So he did a tremendous amount, Karpachenko. He wrote one of the classical papers in horticulture, and he was shot. Can you imagine that shot? I, I, I can't. I still, to this day, I can't believe it. Well, yeah, he was uh, arrested on something like July seventh, and he was executed by gunshot on July twenty eighth because of his. Uh, like I guess they called it uh, uh, crimes against the Soviet Union or crimes against the state, or and uh, and Vavilov at the same time. Yeah, it, it really was. It really was terrible. And because here you find this guy Vavilov, you know, he was attractive. He was well read. He was likable. He was tolerant. 
He had engaging personality, energetic, uh, a tireless worker, photographic memory, multilingual, brilliant, loved by everyone, and he was destroyed, destroyed in prison, and he died at the age of 56 of starvation. He was committed to be shot, but apparently uh, one of his professors had a student who was uh, uh, the wife of Berea, and, and so they didn't shoot him, but he died in prison from starvation. Yeah, it was one of the very sad things uh, in, in science and, 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 and politics. Yeah, as I remember, he died uh, in solitary confinement, uh, mostly from eating a diet strictly of moldy bread flour. Yeah, yeah. He, it, 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 it makes you weep. You know, it makes you weep. It's this wonderfully attractive, brilliant guy who everyone loved, tolerant, was destroyed by the state. And uh, it makes you think of that when you get politics, uh, tyrants uh, taking over, it's very, very difficult. And we're finding that in this country. I mean, uh, it's been against the rule to mention climate warming, for example. I mean, if you want to do a study of how many gun accidents are, it's not permitted anymore. So we're getting some of this in this country. We have to be very careful because uh, uh, we need to find the lessons of Vavilov, when when politics and science interact badly, uh, consequences can be very severe. In the long run, how is Vavilov viewed in his own country? He was resurrected in the, in the Soviet Union. He's now considered famous. He's on postage stamps and naming things after him. So he has been rehabilit- rehabilitated. And Lysenko has, like Torquemada, has only studied because of infamy. So Good eventually prevails, but sometimes it takes a long time. So he is now one of the heroes of science, and I think he deserves to be studied. He deserves to be an aspiring figure for our students. Yeah, and I guess it's kind of a silver lining on a rather, well, an extremely gray cloud. You know, time will be kind. It's just that uh, hope it's kind sooner. <laughs> Yes, I hope that's exactly right. Yeah, well, uh, Professor Jules Janik from Purdue University, thank you so much for joining us today, and and really appreciate your time on this particular podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Kevin. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. This is Kevin Fulta. And this is Paul Vincelli. And we're here talking about the next generation of potential opportunities with the Talking Biotech podcast. And we have a very special invitation for you. (laughs) Okay, so here's the deal. What we're looking for is to expand the opportunities of using this vehicle to expose more people to the opportunities within science communication. How do you build your brand by potentially hosting a Talking Biotech episode? Hosting a Talking Biotech episode accomplishes many things for me. One is I learn more about a topic that I'm interested in. And uh, two is I develop some skills on science communication and do it in a way that's really quite friendly and interactive. So how you do it is really simple. All you need to do is identify someone you would like to talk to, learn something about what they do, make the interview time to talk to them and have the conversation. It's really simple. You do that, send us the audio files, and I'll take care of the rest. And uh, I'll offer myself to mentor somebody who wants to, uh, you know, stick their toe in the water and try it out. And in the days of standing up for science, there's no better way for you to stand up for the science you enjoy and that you would like to communicate to others than to share those important stories. And use this platform to talk about what you're interested in. So think about it. It's a uh, wonderful opportunity, and we're excited to extend it to you. And now back to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Genetic engineering does not involve syringes with needles. 
is not how it works. If you put into Google, what is a GMO? The first few Google results are bullshit. They're not science-based, they're not reputable sources, they're going to be websites that are sponsored by the organic industry to scare you about your food. I can't imagine parents reaching for something that's untested, unregulated, and literally has no active ingredients in it. It just baffles me. someone is talking about a synthetic chemical and calling it a toxin, you know they don't know what they're talking about and then you shouldn't listen to them anymore. The nature will kill you really quickly. There's some organizations that are trying to scare people away from buying certain fruits and vegetables. That's crazy to me. The voices of moms who inform their decisions with fear and hype rather than evidence, those voices are so loud. I don't understand this mindset that anyone who doesn't have the exact same worldview as you must be paid to have that worldview. Conspiracy theories, accusations, I've been called a fake mom, I have gotten death threats. Being a parent is scary. We're all trying to do the best for our kids. There are plants all over the world. They're going to be wiped out. And so there are real world consequences. If we could really change things for the better using this technology. Science is so cool. And those were a couple of clips from the Science Moms documentary, a recent documentary that was released that is available for download that really frames many of the modern myths and how they're debunked by moms, but also kind of a sense of their frustration with turning their back on science in order to sell products or make a political point or an ideological point. And today on the second half of the podcast, we have with us the director and producer. Is that right, Natalie? That is right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the director. This is a professional operation here. It is. Uh, um, the uh, director and producer, Natalie Newell. So welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Hey, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, nice to talk to you. I was only saw you a little bit ago, and it was it was really nice to see you and everybody else involved all in one place at SciCon. That was fantastic. That was so fun. I, I love those events because it's just the chance where you get to be face-to-face and hang out with, you know, because all of us interact online all the time. And so to be in the same place at the same time was just so awesome. And I love those experiences. There's something really neat about that, about finally connecting a, a, a physical person with this person you know. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, those, uh, those events are loaded with that kind of thing. Yeah. And so in addition to the, the documentary, I should mention, you're also the host of the Science Enthusiast podcast, and you've been a guest on, what, dozens of other podcasts now? Or I, Yeah, I've, I've done the, the circuit of podcasts, and I, I mean, I love it. I, it. That's the other great thing about doing all this is just all of these awesome connections that we get to make with each other and these cool conversations that we just get to have out there. Well, I almost asked you, and I almost... I almost reanimated uh, the Vern Blathek Science Power Hour to do a, to do to do a Vern Blathek with Science Moms. You know, I thought I thought I would do that one, but I, I figure you know what? I don't need the grief. We'll just do the real one. Take this grief because that's what's so much fun. We'll start out by talking about the good things that are going on about this and what it is and where people can find it. But I'd also like to touch on some of the conspiracy. Oh yeah, oh because there, there is one, and it is just absurd yeah. but yeah 
Yeah, so we can start with the the you know the fact that this film exists and why and all of that, and then we can get into why people think it really exists. Okay, so let's start with motivation. Where? Why did you do this? So okay, so I did it, and I I said it. Um, I've said it when I've talked about the film before that I sort of wish that this film didn't have to exist. Like I, I wish we lived in a world where people were thinking critically about these issues around parenting and food and health and all of that and you know that people just went with oh this is scientific consensus and let's make our decisions based on that but um as you know it's not that simple and as as i'm a parent myself i have a almost three-year-old and a four and a half year old and before i got into all of this science communication type of stuff um i was a school principal at a small private um, Montessori, like early childhood education type of school. And between my experiences in the school and then my experiences getting unsolicited like advice as a parent, I just felt like there was so much misinformation out there. People telling me to take my baby to a chiropractor to help with colic. People saying that at the school we should only serve organic food just because, you know, reasons um just the conversations around things like gmos that you know they're they're unsafe and uh, just franken food you know the the common tropes that go along with this stuff people saying you know you should think twice about listening to your pediatrician about the vaccine schedule because too many too soon it's like all of these all of these things were just in the ether you know and we have this celebrity culture that is just feeding into that you know the jenny mccarthy type of thing with vaccines or gwyneth paltrow with well she i don't i don't even know where you begin with her she like somebody needs to just do a podcast that's like the gwyneth paltrow weekly update because it's crazy (laughs) one night i luckily stumbled upon this open letter on the grounded parents blog written by the women who ended up you know being the science moms in my film. Um, ah, okay. It, yeah, I, so I didn't know this, that was the connection. I remember that, the open letter. Yeah. yeah, so that's what it was. It was me up really late at night feeding Zeke, my younger one, um, and, you know, feeding him and scrolling through my phone because I needed something to keep my brain sort of occupied at two in the morning. And Grounded Parents was one of the few parenting type of sites that I ever went to. And so I see this open letter, this, you know, they hashtagged it moms for GMOs. They're the way they put it out there is like, hey, celebrities, you're spreading misinformation, but we're also moms. Why don't you, you know, listen to to the other side of things and do a little bit more reading and investigation into the science behind this, you know, these issues, particularly GMOs, because that was when it was the big just label it type of stuff with Gwyneth Paltrow and Sarah Michelle Gellar and those celebrities. Um, So I thought that this letter was so fantastic because for me, it felt like, okay, maybe there are other people out there who see these things the way I do, because you can feel sort of, I think you can feel sort of like on your own island sometimes if, you know, because here I am in suburban Maryland and I'm just inundated with the the wooey kind of stuff, kind of like the first world woo. And um, I saw this letter and felt this odd connection to these people that I had never met before, you know, and just 
remember sitting in a coffee shop writing this proposal to send to these this group of women who are now my friends, but pretty much saying, I want to make a short film to debunk some of these myths, but also just showcase the fact that there are there are parents that are doing it a little differently and not giving in to all the fear. Okay, so timestamp this for me because this becomes po- important in the conspiracy side of this. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this was so, probably what late 2015 or where 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 did when so did you start this? I th- I started. I believe it was about I think it was August 2015 that I first made contact with with the women. How was this funded? Because that's the other important part of this. Oh my goodness! This film was funded by Kickstarter, and anybody who who could uh, who can go to the Science Moms website, you see that you know it says fully funded Kickstarter. There's a list of thank yous. But what's funny, and you because you were on Twitter together, and um, my goodness, people don't seem to believe that it was just this crowdfunded endeavor. No, it looks an awful no. lot like Monsanto. <laughs> <laughs> And my my thought is honestly, if Monsanto or any big corporation was going to make a documentary film, wouldn't they hire somebody who has a lot of experience? Wouldn't they put more than you know the ten thousand dollars that was raised? Like it, it makes no sense. But my goodness, they just they just somehow believe that anybody who holds these ideas must be paid to have these ideas. Yeah, I think Alison uh, Bernstein says that very clearly in the uh, trailer, that yes. why is it that anybody who doesn't share your worldview must be paid to have that worldview? Yeah, <laughs> and that and that's where we are, where it they just don't seem to believe that we could say, yeah, th- this is the message that we're putting forth and we want to, we, we want to help parents be less scared of these things and we want to you know put this narrative out there but yeah they're they're just they're looking and grasping at straws and i'm just imagining people with like bulletin boards and string and pictures of us and monsanto <laughs> and, and like we're, you know we're all on there they oh, have yeah. all of our heads somewhere but it's and i like i've had to laugh this week because the, the Twitter stuff has gotten so ridiculous to where I've just utilized the mute function more more than I ever have. Well, and that's what's so funny to me is that at a, at a time in history when we're excited to see women in science, when we're excited to see the traditional barriers completely destroyed, and that we're excited to be able to see especially young women in STEM, that there are all these people who claim to be advocates for you know moms who mm-hmm. are coming out and trashing moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it seems it seems a little counterintuitive or counterproductive to what they're trying to do when I mean today I I I had to look at one of the people that I muted and I'm seeing these tweets pretty much saying that we like drink a lot. Well, like there's anything it, wrong with that. No, it's, <laughs> no, it's like, I so, mean, you know, no. I I think if there's one thing about the anti-science movement that drinking is a um, legitimate consequence of having to deal with this just yeah. fyi right you yeah know? It, it's a it's a thing you know we we could all we could all bond over a drink at the at the lobby bar at psycon every year and oh my goodness it is just it's it's been absurd it shows that 
I think we're all touching a nerve with them. Well, could you tell me more about who the moms are and maybe a little bit about their diverse backgrounds? Yeah, so um, there in the film, there are scientists and science communicators. So we have Allison, who is a neuroscientist, and she's in Michigan. She's running a lab. She, you know, that's her background. Layla um, is a molecular geneticist. Um, Anastasia is a plant geneticist. And Anastasia also um, helps uh, run Biofortified, which is an amazing organization. And so the three of them are, you know, professional scientists. And then we have Coven and Jenny, who are writers and science communicators. I love all of them together because they each they each bring their own you know unique background and personality and all of that but they play off each other very well too and so i i got really fortunate with you know that i just read this letter that they wrote and then they all happened to be just amazing communicators not just in the written word but the spoken word on camera too jenny in the movie, she talks about having a child with a food allergy. People will claim with their anecdotal evidence that maybe they they cured their child's food allergy or something because of organic diets. And Jenny is there to, to kind of say, no, like that's not how it works. What I really love about the way that all of these women speak about these issues is that they clearly are intelligent people who can transmit information, but at the same time, they're just people that you want to talk to. The film just shows them. The way we interviewed was just, it felt like I was just having a conversation with them. Their parents, just like anybody else who's watching, they just happen to do science or write about science for their jobs. But, you know, we all, we're all kind of on the same page of trying to do the best we can for our kids. Well, that's what I really appreciate about them is that they're all very real, this whole film. Mm -hmm. So you see them, they're real, they're super intelligent, they're all well-spoken, they're all 100% believable and adore their families, bound by this element of disgust (laughs) (laughs) for misinformation. It's true. But that's what I really adore about it, is that they're very diverse backgrounds, very different people, very different missions, but they have this common thread of how how sick they are of being almost talked down to and fooled as parents who care about their kids. And I think that that idea of pandering, why is there such a interest in preying on this very vulnerable mindset that a mom with kids, and you can tell me all about this, you know, as a mom with kids, are you in fact more vulnerable to messaging that says that you could be harming your child? So buy my products. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's, it's like this evil genius of marketing towards parents because as a parent, you do. You want what is best for your children. And if you are going into it sort of blind and thinking like, all right, well, what what is best for my child? And then you come across an ad for, say, diapers and products from The Honest Company. That's that Jessica Alba celebrity, you know, kind of run company. And look at the name, Honest, right? That's geared towards the parents who are afraid to do anything negative, for their child. 
they're being kind of preyed upon because those products are more expensive. It's kind of like an ideology where it's this, it's natural, it's better. It's, you know, people who say things are chemical free and you're like, no, no, nothing is, but, but they can put that label on there. They, the non-GMO project label, which is just a label of, it feels like sanctimony. It's the label of doubt, right? It's the uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And if they can, if they can generate that in the mind of a parent, they can now sell a product that apparently doesn't have whatever spooky thing is in there. Yeah, and what and the thing that I hear a lot is, well, I don't know that I really think that the GMOs are bad, but I'm going to go with the non-GMO just to be safe. Let me let me just do it and buy the things that have that don't have this mysterious like boogeyman of food in it. The marketing has just been genius in the worst way possible because it's made people just assume that non-GMO or non-whatever just means it's better. Let's uh, wrap up by talking about the big conspiracy. Now, apparently, well, why don't you frame out how you've seen this evolve? (laughs) Okay, from the time that the film has been kind of out there on social media and gaining traction, there have always been the Ooh, who like who thought this up? What PR firm thought this up? And you know, it was just kind of the funny, usual shill accusation stuff. But it was um, like a week or so ago when we found out that so that Science Moms was mentioned in a in a book by Carrie. Is it Gillum? Is yeah, that how you say her good last old name? Carrie Gillum in Whitewash. Carrie, Carrie Gillum, Whitewash. That that Science Moms and Moms for GMOs was mentioned in the vein of of Monsanto. Mon- is it Monsanto PR? Is that is that what they usually say that it's yeah, Monsanto they, PR? Yeah, they always say it's about Monsanto's PR firms that are building these videos. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm and so I see that and I mean I I will absolutely say Carrie Gillum never contacted me. I didn't even know she knew what my film was, but it's in a book. So I am officially I have my own fake news. We all have our fake news, don't we? Well, yeah, we and, do. Some, and yeah. we've survived this stuff in a lot of ways. But did she, you know the funny thing is, don't be surprised that she's not the world's greatest fact checker. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I figured she's just like, oh, I'll just put that in there because that fits it fits the narrative so well. Well, do you know where it really comes from? I think I think I know. Do you? Can you say where it comes from? Yeah. So let me talk about where that where this all started and where her hints of this have come from in the book and other places, is that in my emails that were gathered by USRTK, I was having a discussion with a woman who is uh, she was she does work for Monsanto in Colorado and I'm and she invited me to talk to farmers out there one time because farmers wanted to hear some answers but didn't want it from the company they wanted it from an independent scientist so when we got done we kept in touch she would send me stuff that uh, i didn't even ask for like i was cc'd on it and one of the things i was cc'd on was uh, the commercials that were a response to commercials uh, that were on about labeling in colorado and uh, oregon and a lot of the really really sad information that was being pumped out by folks against genetic engineering and people who were having this discussion were saying, well, we need to have uh, more science and more education, and that'll make these people smarter. And I said, no, it has nothing to do with that. What it has to be is mom scientists who are trusted or moms who are, uh, who are trusted in the information coming from a mom. 
And that doesn't come from me. That comes from the Center of Food Integrity's massive research on this subject that says that a mother and that a scientist mother are the most trusted sources of information. So it was that email that she said was uh, the basis of your film. But it's funny. We didn't even know each other. And this is the way they work. They put a bunch of dots out there and then connect them. Yep. You know, kind of like the threads and yarn on your uh, on your bulletin board with the stick pins, and which I'm on now thanks to this. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of cool. We're all there. Yeah, we're we're all in this together, and they have the end of their story. It's all been this big conspiracy. Then they find all of us who could somehow fit into these little boxes and you know pave the way to that end goal, which I I don't really understand what what their goals are, and I I thought of this thing on my on my own and then and then it happened it's a little offensive to be like well you know any good idea must have been thought up by a corporation so you're accusing these uh anti-gmo anti-vaccine uh homeopathy folks of starting with a conclusion and accepting only evidence that fits it it's we it's weird (laughs) but i I think i am (laughs) I think that's my. I think that's where I'm going with it. Those aren't the people that I care about getting a positive experience from the film. Like I want to reach the people who are in that more movable middle on the fence and hoping to just spread the critical thinking and make people pause and reflect on their preconceived notions about some of these topics. The people with their bulletin boards and yarn are not. They're not the demographic for this. So if people want to see the film. Where do they download it? They can go to sciencemomsdoc.com and there were, there are links right there to uh, to download the film. And then, you know, can follow Science Moms on Facebook. There's a Facebook page for it. And we are also um, going to be launching a new website, um, scimoms.com. Well, and if anyone wants to follow you on Twitter, where do they do that? You can follow me. Um, it's at NC Newell. So initials and last name. Just don't don't ask me how my movie got funded or do. I don't know. Whatever you want. <laughs> well, the other important thing is, is we could use a little amplification of something yeah. kind of some really positive messaging that when you have a film and a product like Science Moms, it's really great if listeners can share that on their Twitter feeds or even other places. I mean, going to the Science Friday website and maybe mentioning to them, hey, why don't you check this out? This would be a great guest on your show or any place else that would give some extra traction to what is a a science-based and informative documentary about strong women, strong women scientists promoting science. So thank you so much for joining me today, Natalie. I really appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. Thank you. It's always great to talk to you and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. 
Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.